those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You may be seated. Thank you, Trudy. For a second there, I thought he was going to start asking Ava questions. <clears throat> I was like, man, baby dedications have gotten a lot more intense in my, since my day, 29 years ago. Um, well, good morning. It's good to be here with you. And as Trudy read for us, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 today. And since it's Father's Day, I was trying to think of a good fatherly story uh, to start the sermon with. And it's always a dangerous thing when you're talking about your parents from the pulpit and they also go to the church at which you're preaching. And there's many things I could say. There's a lot of good things. Uh, there's a lot of hair-raising things. If you have time sometime, you can ask Caleb or I about the time that Dad uh, surrendered us to what we had thought at the time was an alligator in a swamp in Florida, but it just turned out to be a very lively carp. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> anyway, probably, this might not be true for you, but hopefully most of us remember losing our teeth when we were kids. Uh, or maybe if you've had children, you have had to relive that process freshly. One of the things that I remember very vividly about that process was the difference it made whether or not my father was home while my tooth was uh, coming loose and trying to be wriggled free. My mother would let me fiddle with the loose tooth forever. And I remember she, we would even take, I don't remember what they were exactly, but some kind of pliers and I'd clamp them around the tooth and I would just like sit there and wriggle it and twist it for hours, just hours and hours. And so she would kind of let me do that. But if my father happened to be home, he always wanted to take a look. <clears throat> ben, come here and just let me take a look. <clears throat> By my third or fourth tooth, I had figured out that that sentence was code for, I'm going to rip that out of your skull right now. <laughs> and he did. My father was wise in the pulling of baby teeth. His method was a bit more startling, and it hurt right there at the beginning, but it got the teeth out faster, and it caused less pain over time. So as I'm considering wisdom, and we're starting our series in Proverbs this morning, I think similarly to children with loose baby teeth, we, have, we all have problems and decisions, puzzles that we're fiddling with and want some solution to. And we often avoid doing the best thing because we know that it's going to hurt, or we know that it's going to cost us. And often it's actually unclear what to do. I think all of us face different situations in life 
where it's not a simple decision between good and evil. Uh, it's a decision between several different goods or a little good and a little evil mixed together. You know what I mean. You're also living humans. Life is often very confusing and it's sometimes unclear what to do. And the Bible gives us commands, but if you've read some of it, you know that a lot of those commands don't map neatly onto our lives uh, all of the time. What we require is wisdom. And wisdom, Clayton's going to talk a bit more about this next week, so I don't want to steal too much of his thunder, but wisdom in the biblical sense is the craft of living a good life. It's something that you can learn how to do and can actually get better at. It is the art of discerning God's intention, first in scripture and then also in your own life. Wisdom is knowing what to do when faced with a confounding situation. And our sermon summary this morning is this. If you want wisdom, then get Jesus. If you want wisdom, then get Jesus. And like I said, we're starting our series out of Proverbs, and you may have noticed that the sermon text is not from Proverbs. Hopefully the reasons for that will become apparent before the end. The specific situation that Paul was facing as he opens the letter of 1 Corinthians, and they had a host of problems. Uh, it was a wild place, ancient Corinth, but one of the situations he was having to face is that the Corinthian Christians were pledging their highest allegiance to particular Christian leaders rather than to the Lord Jesus. Rather than letting God's word and spirit lead them into wisdom, they were following the leads of their own hearts. They thought wisdom was whatever sounded best, whatever made them feel good, whatever jived with what they already believed to be true. They lacked true and godly wisdom. And maybe some of that sounds familiar. We face and are in similar situation. We are bombarded by worldly wisdom, advertising, advice, all of these different messages that are sent to us. We're like children with loose and bleeding teeth looking to worldly wisdom to help us keep the teeth that we have. But God the Father says, child, come here and let me have a look. Many of our problems stem from holding on to something that no longer belongs in our life with God. That baby tooth must be ripped out, which will hurt, but it hurts because something new is trying to grow up underneath it. In all times and places, and this was referenced in one of the songs we sang, people search for answers, for solutions. Many of us just go with our gut, which isn't always bad. Our guts are sometimes wise. But if we haven't been formed intentionally by the scripture and by, the, by prayer, our guts can be mistaken. Just because something feels like the right thing to do, that doesn't mean that it is. So how do we know? How do we know what's wise? In both the ancient world and today, many answers are given. There are always people ready to take advantage of our hope and confidence. Infomercials, prosperity preachers, diet and exercise gurus, talk show hosts, self-help authors, social media influencers, often religious leaders. Here, the thing I have, that's the way to wisdom. This is the thing that your life needs. And it can be yours for only four easy payments of $99.99. Worldly wisdom is centered on us. It tells us that we are the ones who get to decide what is good. Go ahead and eat Taco Bell for the 15th time in a row. You're the boss. Go ahead and buy that thing, even if you can't really afford it. You're the boss. Go ahead and say what you really think to that person, because you're the boss. And this is where Paul swings in like a wrecking ball into this ancient Corinthian and modern American noise. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 flashes across the page like a thunderbolt. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The Corinthians were attracted to teachers with great polish, teachers who could give good advice. Instead, Paul points them to the gospel story. He's not interested in telling them how to live their best life now. He's proclaiming that the Messiah died on the cross for their sins. And the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. That's what Paul says. And Proverbs will tell us all about those who are perishing, who are walking the broad path to death and destruction. The gospel is silly to the men and women on that path because they are blind to reality. They cannot face the inevitability of death. They cannot come to terms with their own mistakes. They distract themselves, stay busy, keep their eyes firmly fixed on the things of the world. Why are you talking about a man dying on the cross, Paul? No one wants to hear this weird story about blood and death and evil and wrath. We're supposed to encourage people, stay positive. Paul quotes the prophet Isaiah in verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Back in Isaiah's day, the temple priests and the prophets, the wise, were cheerleaders for whatever the king and the people wanted to do. They used their power to cover up mistreatment of the poor, destruction of the environment. They made people feel good about abandoning the covenant with the Lord. While Isaiah warned that God would act through the armies of Israel's enemies to punish the people, the religious leaders, the wise, said that it was all nonsense. Isaiah's prophecies are nonsense. But it was their advice that led to death and exile. Worldly wisdom cannot deal with the seriousness of the problem that we face. It cannot deal with the seriousness of sin and death. It says, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And this is what separates self-help advice from the preaching of the gospel. Worldly wisdom is all about you what you need to do, what product you need to buy, what person you need to become. But the gospel is about what God has done for you in Jesus. Advice is great if all you need is a little bit of help to be a good person. The gospel is what you need when death and evil have broken in and you have nothing to defend yourself with. The news that there is a savior and a wise king, a compassionate judge and faithful friend, and he put himself in the way of harm so that you could go free. There's nothing about that. That's advice. That's news. Paul goes on in verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? In Jesus, God reveals that worldly wisdom is bankrupt. It's like the Wizard of Oz. It's all flash and spectacle, but behind the curtain is just some selfish guy abusing and using people. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. How small the cosmos would be, how dimmed the glory of the Lord if he could be contained in a self-help seminar or a social media post. Paul's point is that we cannot have a relationship with God using worldly wisdom because worldly wisdom does not acknowledge our peril or God's power in Jesus. Paul says that it pleased God to save those who believed through the folly of the gospel. It gave God pleasure to do it this way. 
We've been saved by the ultimate dad joke. The gospel is a scandal to Jews, nonsense to the Greeks. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. The Greeks expected divine action to look like superheroes, and if you've read Greek myths or if you're aware of some of those stories, Hercules and whatnot, that's kind of what they were like. They ran around and fought the monster and rescued the damsels. They expected God's acting in the world to make sense within their own wisdom. And Jesus did save many people, but he let the bad guys kill him in the end. And that doesn't make any sense. No one wins by dying. And the Jewish people looked for God to act in miracles and awesome displays of power. And this makes sense for a people raised on stories of split seas, manna from heaven, and marching bands bringing down the walls of Jericho. They expected the Messiah to be a conquering king, a bigger and better version of Joshua and David, great warriors of old. And Jesus was a better Joshua and David, but that meant letting his enemies kill him rather than the other way around. And that was a scandal. The Messiah doesn't rule the world by serving his enemies. God took the world's wisdom and expectations and turned them completely inside out. When we listen to worldly wisdom, we become convinced that the universe revolves around us. And sometimes that makes people very deeply conceited. You know, look at me, I'm the best thing ever. But I think oftentimes it makes us also incredibly anxious My gosh, the stakes of my life are so much higher than I thought. Everything depends on me. If I don't fill in the blank with whatever the situation you're in, if I don't act like a good wife, if I don't complete the project at work, if I don't make my friends happy, if I don't get my homework done, if I don't look strong to the guys, then the world will end. We don't put it like that, but that's how we feel. We sacrifice so much of ourselves to false gods of our own making. And so it pleases God the Father to gather us up and tell us that none of that will save us so we can stop worrying and let him pull the tooth of our fleshly desires and idolatry. It pleased God to pull a fast one on all our worldly wisdom and deliver us by a way that no one expected, Jesus' death on a cross. Paul's point here, this whole passage really, is that your own wisdom just won't cut it in God's kingdom because every time you think it's going to go left, God goes right. And this brings us to God's wisdom, the thing that we need, the thing that we're hunting this summer through Proverbs. Paul says in verse 22, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. If we want real wisdom, if we want to learn the craft of living a good life, then we need to get Jesus. The Gospels tell us that Jesus grew in wisdom. He had to develop discernment in a similar way that we do. And his development, of course, wasn't damaged by sin, but it wasn't that Jesus just had all this knowledge downloaded one day and then he always knew what to do. It's not the case. He had to discern situations just like we do with the help of the Holy Spirit. Jesus never handed out advice, and he seldom answered people's questions directly. 
Instead, he would often tell a puzzling story, many of which we're still pondering the meaning of 2,000 years later. He often gave commands, which is the opposite of advice. He never said, the kingdom of God is near, so you might like to try this. He said, the kingdom of God is near, repent, stop what you're doing, turn to the right path, believe the good news. Christ is the wisdom of God. This is a clue for us as Jesus' disciples how we are to read a book like Proverbs. Proverbs begins, the first eight chapters are an exhortation to find wisdom and to never let go. It's a father and a mother speaking to a child. But then after that, it switches, and I think most of us are more familiar with this part of Proverbs. Uh, It switches to lists of wise sayings that are vaguely grouped in categories. I don't know if there's really any clear categories, but about all sorts of things. It's just little self-contained lines. You can open it up if, if you're unfamiliar with it. And I think the beauty of Proverbs is that it's so normal. In a sacred book, crowded with giants, heroes, demons, and miracles, it's refreshing to spend time in a book of the Bible that's all about work, relationships, family, and food. We can easily relate. But there's a danger to that familiarity. We will be tempted, upon first reading these wise sayings, to think of them just like motivational posters, Instagram posts, or fortune cookies. They're not. Because they're not worldly wisdom. They are each a signpost on the way of Jesus, guiding us how to follow him in the normal stuff of life. Paul says in verse 25, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I think Paul's declaring the ways and wisdom of the world bankrupt. The Corinthians were breaking the church apart, trying to follow all these different leaders depending on their whims, who sounded best, who agreed with what they already thought. That's what sin does. That's why Paul wrote the letter, because sin disintegrates communities and individuals. Paul says that worldly wisdom is useless. It's empty. There's nothing there. It can be occasionally helpful, right? Other cultures in the world have produced proverbs. It's not that it's wicked to, to, you know, always listen to worldly wisdom. There's something true about things like follow your heart or just be true to yourself, but it runs out of truth very quickly. Worldly wisdom harms us, actually. It puts a burden on us that's too heavy to bear. It blinds us. It sets us us on a bad road, which is why God was pleased to save us a different way by a story that no one expected, Jesus hanging on a cross. The gospel reveals that our normal way of understanding the world is wrong, that our gut is often wrong. However you assign value, how you spend your time, who you think is important, wrong, all wrong. Maybe not completely wrong, but we're all mistaken in various ways. And I think if the thought of being wrong, as you sit and listen to this and you go, well, I can't possibly be wrong, Ben. I've listened to such good advice my whole life. If the thought of being wrong is scandalous or nonsensical to you, then it's good that you're here because it's time to study Proverbs and learn the ways of Christ's wisdom. If you want wisdom, then get Jesus. Worldly wisdom offers many things that it can never deliver, Ultimately, worldly wisdom denies spiritual things and distracts us from the gospel. The wisdom of God offers us something better. 
There is something more important than accomplishing all your goals. There is something better than getting everything you want. There is something more pressing than having your act together. The gospel disrupts and overthrows worldly wisdom and worldly power. No one rules the world by serving their enemies until Jesus did. No one wins by dying until Jesus did. No one comes back from the grave until Jesus did it and promises that we as his people will follow him to that path to new life. May we get Jesus and be wise, church, and live according to his good and faithful promises. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you again for this good day, and we do thank you for this word from 1 Corinthians. Lord, convicting to me in all the different ways that I believe lies that either come from myself or that come from our culture. Lord, I pray that as we start this study in Proverbs, you would grant each of us greater wisdom. And I think that at Calvary, we do have many very wise people. Wise in the Lord. Wise in the word. Father, I pray that that would become more true for all of us, that we would not be afraid to admit that we're just wrong about some things. And maybe something we've done this way for many, many years, it turns out that we were wrong. Lord, help us to have repentant hearts when we need to. Help us, Lord, to look to Jesus as the source of our wisdom, as the source of everything that we need. And help us, Father, to encourage one another as we are all on this journey together. Lord, you brought each of us into this congregation for a reason. We are here to encourage and push each other on in the Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we would do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.